This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 126, entitled, The Early Christian View of God in 1 Thessalonians. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully our podcast has encouraged you to have these very important conversations with your friends and family. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. In what ways did early Christians portray Jesus alongside the God of Israel? How did the resurrection and exaltation of the man Jesus Christ interact with the unitary monotheism of Judaism? The late Larry Hurtado has argued in his writings that early Christianity, especially in the writings of St. Paul, was basically Benetarian in both theology and practice. Richard Bauckham, on the other hand, has argued that Jesus was absorbed into the identity of God. Both Hurtado and Bauckham have, rightly in my opinion, been responded to by many scholars such as James Dunn and James McGrath, whose books I cannot recommend highly enough for biblical Unitarians. You should buy everything that James McGrath and James Dunn ever wrote. What are we to make of the scholarly disagreement regarding how early Christianity understood the risen Jesus in relation to the one true God of Israel? This episode will begin a series looking at early Christian writings in order to judge for ourselves how Jesus featured in this Jewish messianic movement, especially as Jesus relates to the monotheistic God of Judaism. In this episode, we will look at what is likely the earliest Christian document contained in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. We can date 1 Thessalonians pretty closely within a two-year range, sometime between the years 50 and 52 AD, with most scholars settling on the year 50. Does 1 Thessalonians portray God and Jesus in Benetarian terms? Has Jesus been absorbed into the identity of Israel's God? Or... Is Jewish unitary monotheism maintained in light of Jesus' resurrection? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the Christian portrayal of God in 1 Thessalonians. So I did a survey of 1 Thessalonians in all five of its chapters to see what does it have to say about God. A very important passage in 1 Thessalonians that describes the relationship between God and Jesus is chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, arguably one of the most important passages in 1 Thessalonians. 
So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, Paul talks about how the converts in Thessalonica converted from paganism and entered into the Christian faith. And he says, quote, How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. So here we can see that the converts, who were primarily Gentile, they were Greeks there in Macedonia, were turning from a variety of idols to serve a living and true God. But alongside this living and true God is the Son of God. The Son is called Jesus. Jesus is currently in heaven with God, and the living and true God raised this Jesus from the dead. This living and true God is actually described with the definite article in verse 9. He is ton theon. He is the God. The converts turned to the God from their many idols. And this one God has a son who is Jesus, who is the crucified and risen Jesus. Now it's difficult for Christians to imagine this, but for Greeks that converted to Christianity in the first century, this would have been a life-changing shift in their priorities, in their daily life, and even in their eating habits. Because they were used to serving and worshiping a variety of gods and a variety of lords. Specifically in Thessalonica, we are aware of some very specific gods and lords whom the Thessalonians previously worshipped. In particular, in the first century, we have the imperial cult, which is the religious movement that is encouraging the propaganda of worshipping the emperor and his family with divine honors, with sacrifices, with festivals, and with praises. The emperor was widely known as God, the Son of God, Savior, and Lord. In Thessalonica in particular, we have a mystery cult called the Kabirus cult, C-A-B-I-R-U-S, the Kabirus cult. And it's very interesting when historians look at the Kabirus cult in Thessalonica and notice the similarities between this cult and the early Christian movement because the Kabiris cult was centered around a particular figure that was martyred. He was known as a hero figure. He was murdered in particular by his own brothers. He was buried with symbols of royal power. And his followers promised that Kabiris would return at some point to give aid to the lowly. And thus, the worshippers of the Kabiris cult included the lowly like the workers with their hands, slaves, and even women. So it's interesting that you have this religious movement in Thessalonica that 
described a martyred hero that was coming back again to give aid to his followers. And then you have Paul and his apostolic party coming into Thessalonica and describing Jesus, who was a martyred hero, who was in royalty. Jesus was the Christ. He was the anointed king of God's kingdom. Jesus, unlike Kabiris, actually did rise from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus was coming back again to give rescue and aid to his followers, not just the lowly. It's very easy to see how Paul could attract these sort of worshipers, participants in the Kabiris cult, and convert them with a very similar message. Thessalonica also had the worship of Serapis, Dionysus, and even Isis, all the way from Egypt. So in Thessalonica, there were a variety of gods and a variety of lords that people worshipped. They participated in these things. They would go to their temples and they would eat meat sacrificed to these idols. They would participate in their festivals. They would gauge themselves in daily life and practice involving these particular gods, both in public and private life. But in order to become a Christian, they had to, according to Paul, turn to the God from all of these idols in order to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son. They had to give up all of their gods, all of their lords, and identify only one person as the living and true God. In addition to serving this living and true God, they also had to wait for the Son of this living and true God, namely Jesus, who is the crucified and risen one. Now, First Thessalonians has a lot to say about this living and true God. In fact, the noun theos, Greek word for God, appears 34 times within the five chapters of First Thessalonians. So the word God appears in roughly one-third of the verses of First Thessalonians. Clearly for Paul, God is a major subject in First Thessalonians, and you have to emphasize the one God, the only God, the living and true God, to people that converted from paganism. They converted from worshiping a variety of gods and a variety of lords. And again, this change was a monumental and radical change in the lives of these converts. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, when God is qualified, God is always qualified as the Father. We can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 11, and chapter 3, verse 13. Every single time that the true God in 1 Thessalonians is qualified, it is qualified as the Father. It is never qualified as the Son. It's never qualified as God the Holy Spirit. It is God the Father. That's very interesting. It seems that Paul is continuing to exhibit Jewish monotheism. In fact, we can tell that Paul believed that God was a single person, not two or three persons, based on what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. 
look at this passage together with me. First Thessalonians 5.23 has Paul saying, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. First Thessalonians 5.23. Paul there says that he wishes that the God of peace himself would sanctify the Thessalonians entirely, describing that one true God as a single self, using that pronoun, himself. Himself refers to one person, not multiple persons. By describing God with the pronoun himself, God can only be one person. He cannot be two, three, four, or any other number greater than one. Paul believes that the Christian God is still the Jewish God that he knew from his birth. Prayer, according to 1 Thessalonians, is directed to God as the Father. We can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Prayer language is given to God, not to Jesus, and certainly not to the Holy Spirit. Let's move to our second point. The Christian portrayal of Jesus in 1 Thessalonians. That is our second point of this podcast. The risen Jesus is addressed with the title Kyrios, the Greek noun Lord, which would have been heard in Thessalonica as attributing a Caesar title to Jesus. Before Jesus was even born, the widely held claim was that the emperor of Rome, Caesar, was Lord. Caesar was Kyrios. And so to attribute to Jesus this particular title is to take it away and to subvert the claims of lordship that are made in regard to the Roman emperor. And at the writing of 1 Thessalonians, if it was written in the year 50 or even if it was written in the year 52, that particular emperor in Rome was Claudius. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, when we look at the various ways that the man Jesus is portrayed, we can see a high concentration of lordship titles given to Jesus. 24 times Jesus is called Lord, called Kyrios. But only 16 times is he described with his given human name, Jesus. And ten times, he is described as the Messianic King, as the Christ. So again, we have ten times he is referred to as the Christ, sixteen times referred to with his given human name, Jesus, but twenty-four times he is described as the Lord, it's far more prominent that Jesus described as the Lord than even with his own given human name. And we can see that this particular Lord is drawn from the passage in the Hebrew Bible, Psalm 110 and verse 1, where it says that Yahweh said to my Lord, Yahweh spoke to a exalted human figure of authority, calling him Lord, and said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Psalm 110, verse 1. There we have Yahweh, the true God, speaking to another person as 
Lord, exalting him to Yahweh's right hand and waiting for a time where the enemies will be put under his feet. The early Christians were drawn to this passage because we have Yahweh, the true God, the Heavenly Father, exalting and raising Jesus from the dead to God's right hand as the risen Lord, as someone distinct from Yahweh, and Jesus remains in heaven until the time where his enemies will be defeated. And so Jesus is actually described in 1 Thessalonians in a variety of places as our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. This indicates that the title Lord given to Jesus is not some sort of other way of talking about Yahweh. You can't say our Yahweh. There is no our Yahweh in Hebrew. You could say our Lord, as in a Lord that belongs to a first-person plural group. But you can't say our Yahweh. So Jesus is called our Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1 and verse 3, chapter 2, 19. In chapter 3, verse 11, we have Jesus our Lord. And back to our Lord Jesus Christ in 3.13, 5 verse 9, 5.23, and 5.28. And Paul has to make this emphasis because in Thessalonica they were used to worshiping a variety of lords, but specifically Caesar as Lord. But to convert to Christianity, you have to give up worshiping all of those lords and all those gods to worshiping the God, the true God, and the Son of the one true God, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is now our Lord. He is the new Lord that the Thessalonians were to worship and wait upon. Of course, we saw in chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, that Jesus is the Son of the one true God. And by being the Son of of the one true God, Jesus is distinct from him. That is a very, very important point. We can see that Jesus is meant to be the object of imitation. And Paul considers himself as someone like Jesus who could be imitated. If you look in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 1, verse 6. Paul says, you became imitators of the Lord. That's the imitators of the Lord Jesus. Paul understood that Jesus, in his earthly life, demonstrated a life that was meant to be an example for Paul's converts. And this is important when we think of the theology of Paul, especially in Philippians 2 to where the earthly life of Jesus is an attitude that Paul expects his followers to adopt. Have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We also note in regard to Jesus that believers were to wait for Jesus' return, specifically for his parousia, which is the Greek noun for coming or presence. The parousia or the coming, the second coming of Jesus, is only used in 1 Thessalonians to describe Jesus. It is not the coming of the Father. It's not the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is the second coming of Jesus. 
and this noun is used quite frequently from a frequency standpoint in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19 Paul says for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus when at his coming that's chapter 2 verse 19 Paul says a little bit more in chapter 3 verse 13 Paul says so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming, at the parousia, of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his holy ones. We can see much the same in 4.15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, until the second coming, the parousia of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Chapter 4 and verse 15. And again, the noun parousia is used strictly of Jesus in chapter 5, verse 23. Paul prays, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's chapter 5, verse 23. Of course, we can talk about the return of Jesus in that important opening passage in chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 where the one true God to whom the converts turned had a son Jesus whom the one true God raised from the dead and they are waiting for this son who is currently in heaven because he's the one who rescues them from the wrath to come so in each of the five chapters there is an emphasis on the second coming of Jesus and actually, that word coming was a word used to describe the royal visit of the Roman emperor. So it's another one of those Caesar points that is being subverted and taken over by the early Christians to use Jesus as the true Lord, who is the true Son of God, the true Savior, that is going to have the true coming. And this is meant to dissuade the false claims of the Roman Empire in favor of the claims of early Christianity. But it is only Jesus that is described as having a second coming. Of course, Jesus is the one in 1 Thessalonians who died. It wasn't God who died. It wasn't the Father who died. It wasn't the Holy Spirit who died. It was just Jesus. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, it says, The Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus Jesus was the one who died. Jesus the Lord was the one who died. Of course, we saw in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 through 10, that the living and true God raised Jesus from the dead, implying that Jesus died. Jesus was mortal. The one true God didn't die. Jesus died. And in chapter 4, and verse 14, it says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So Jesus is the mortal whom God raised from the dead, and the death of Jesus is not qualified as partially dying, or only seeming to die, or only dying in one of his natures. There's no sort of qualification. Jesus completely died, he wholly died, and God completely raised Jesus from the dead. Let's move to our third point. Point number three is God and Jesus working together in 1 Thessalonians. 
it is clear that God raised Jesus from the dead and highly exalted Jesus to God's right hand. And it is interesting to see how God includes Jesus in some of God's activities, while at the same time remaining distinct as the only God from the risen man, Jesus. So this gets into our original point that Larry Hurtado argued that early Christianity, as we can see in the letters of Paul, was Benetarian in nature. And Richard Bauckham says that Jesus was absorbed into the identity of God, and these scholars, who are world-class scholars, have come under scrutiny for these particular claims based on the evidence of the New Testament itself. Is that the sort of portrayal of God and Jesus working together that we see in 1 Thessalonians? Well, podcast listeners, judge for yourself. We can see that the congregation in Thessalonica is described as, quote, the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1. So churches are described as being identified with God as the Father and as someone distinct from that God being the Lord Jesus Christ. So both of them are listed there, and that's an important point. The risen Jesus is mentioned as part of the ownership of this particular church. When Paul refers to the churches in Judea, the congregations of Jewish Christians, they are, quote, the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, end quote. He says that in chapter 2, verse 14. So they are the churches of God, but they are in Christ Jesus. And so you can see that God and Christ Jesus are spoken together, but there's an interesting relationship that is there. The Christian hope is said to be in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. So our Lord Jesus Christ is distinguished from our God and Father, but the hope is to be in the hope that is defined by the return of our Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming as the arriving king and ruler, and this will be in the presence of our God and Father. So the hope describes both Jesus and God. The gospel message in 1 Thessalonians is described as the word of God and the word of the Lord. More specifically, the word of the Lord and the gospel of God. But these are just synonymous ways of referring to the Christian message. Remember the message that Paul preached that pagans were to turn from their idols to the living and true God who raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus is coming back again. So God raised Jesus. God is sending Jesus back as the king and true Lord of the world. So the message could be the word of the Lord or the gospel of God. They're just synonymous ways of talking about the same thing. Timothy, our brother and fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, is described as God's fellow worker in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 2. 
So Timothy is God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. He is working alongside God. Wow, that's that's a pretty bold thing to say about Timothy. He is God's fellow worker, but he does this in the gospel of Christ. So he can work alongside God and his ministry by preaching the gospel of the anointed king. There again is another way that the gospel is described, the gospel of Christ. Now Paul prays for the involvement of both God and Jesus in his life and in the life of the Thessalonians. He says in chapter 3 and verse 11, quote, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. First Thessalonians 3 verse 11. He prays that God, the Father, and Jesus Christ will direct our way to you. So Jesus is involved in that particular prayer language, but Jesus is not confused with God. Jesus is not called God. Jesus is clearly and unambiguously distinguished from God the Father. But it is God and Jesus. The two of them are mentioned together. Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 9 that God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 and verse 9. There, God is not destining the Thessalonians for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. How are the Thessalonians to obtain salvation? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. God offers salvation through Jesus. This is how Jesus is working and functioning with God. God is working through Jesus. God is working in and through the risen Lord Jesus. The Father is working through the Son. And Paul could say, in a more casual comment, that in everything we need to give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 18. There again, we see that God's will, God's desire, God's purposes are worked out for you in Christ Jesus. God is working in Jesus. God is working through Jesus. They're both involved, but God is still the one true God, and Jesus is that mediator role through whom the one true God is continuing to work. In conclusion, we have observed that 1 Thessalonians is very likely to be the earliest Christian document contained within the New Testament. As an early source, 1 Thessalonians allows us a unique look into early Christian beliefs and theology regarding God and Christ. Since the Christian movement emerged out of Judaism's unitary monotheism, it is an important historical question to trace how the risen Jesus functions alongside the one true God of Israel. We first noted that the contents of 1 Thessalonians demonstrated that the God inherited from Judaism was unaltered. God was only defined in 1 Thessalonians as the Father. This God was the true God, and he was always distinguished from the risen and exalted Jesus. God 
remained a single person. As Paul spoke of, quote, God himself, end quote. The converts to Christianity from Thessalonica would have to abandon all of their gods and all of their lords as a requirement of entering the body of Christ. Their new devotion was directed to the true God, defined as the Father, and the Son of the true God as the risen Lord. Second, we observe that Jesus Christ was a prominent feature in the theology and religious life of the Thessalonian believers. Jesus is described in various ways as Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, but most frequently with the title Lord. This reflects Paul's understanding that Jesus is the risen Lord, as portrayed in Psalm 110, verse 1, where Yahweh summons the human Lord to sit at Yahweh's right hand. By emphasizing that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord and our Lord, Paul highlights the exalted status of the man Jesus while also attempting to subvert the claims that Caesar was the true Lord for those living in Thessalonica. The repeated emphasis on Jesus' death indicates that Paul regarded Jesus as a mortal who truly died, but now Jesus has come back to life. Paul regarded Jesus' earthly life as something that tangibly could be imitated, and Paul expects his converts to have the attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. The Christian hope in 1 Thessalonians was largely based around Jesus physically returning from heaven at the second coming. Lastly, we noted that while the Jewish God and the risen Jesus are consistently differentiated and distinguished in the contents of 1 Thessalonians, Paul does indicate that Jesus is actively involved in God's salvific and redemptive activities. In other words, God has and is actively working through Jesus Christ. So both God and Jesus are mentioned together in many activities. Interestingly enough, the collaboration between God and Jesus does not mention the Holy Spirit, as if there were potentially three persons working together. The Gospel message is described as both the Gospel of God and the Word of the Lord, due to the fact that God raised King Jesus, exalted King Jesus as the Lord of the world, and is sending King Jesus back to rule and reign. Churches are described as belonging to God and Jesus. In light of this, Paul actively prays that both God and Jesus direct his steps, seeking the involvement of both God and Jesus in Paul's daily life. God offers salvation through Jesus Christ, indicating that God is still undisputed in rank, 
while still working through the anointed and risen King Jesus. There is no indication that Christianity has included Jesus in the Godhead or expanded the definition of monotheism to include Jesus. Furthermore, there is no indication that unitary monotheism of Judaism was developed into Benetarianism or even Trinitarianism according to the contents of 1 Thessalonians. The crucified and risen Jesus is not portrayed as pre-existing his birth. In sum, the presentation of God and Christ in 1 Thessalonians is best described in terms of, you guessed it, biblical Unitarianism. Join us next week as we continue to look at early Christian documents to see how the risen Jesus is portrayed alongside the only true God of Jewish monotheism. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the truths about the oneness and unity of God and the truths about Jesus' humanity. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends and by writing an honest review on iTunes. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you folks, please take care.